When you were a child, you were likely vaccinated against all sorts of diseases from diphtheria to measles. Now that you're older, you're advised to get vaccinated for shingles, influenza, and most recently COVID. There are many vaccines that you receive throughout your life to prevent common illnesses. There are also vaccines for cancer. There are vaccines that prevent cancer and vaccines that treat cancer. In this episode of The Pursuit of Precision, The Science Advancing Individualized Medicine, we'll focus on the exciting science behind vaccines that fight cancer. I'm Kathy Werzer. Joining us are Dr. Karen Anderson and Dr. Keith Knudsen. Dr. Anderson is a tumor biologist working on breast cancer vaccines. She's at Arizona State University with a joint appointment at Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona. Dr. Knudsen is in the Department of Immunology and Clinical and Research Laboratories and Cancer Biology at Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. He's testing a vaccine designed to prevent the reoccurrence of triple negative breast cancer and ovarian cancer, among other trials, which will all be part of our conversation. I am so excited to meet you both. Welcome. Thank you so much. It is very exciting to be here, and this is a just a terrific topic I think we're all excited about. Thank you. As I said in the intro, there are vaccines that prevent some cancers. I'm thinking HPV vaccine is an example. But the work on vaccines to treat cancer has been a bit frustrating. I think you'd both probably agree to that. Let's set the table for our discussion. I think getting our terms straight is probably a good way to begin. When we think, what's a vaccine versus immunotherapy? Are they the same thing? Well, I think that the distinction between a prevention vaccine and a therapeutic vaccine is an important one. What we're really talking about in, in a lot of the excitement that is coming out right now in the field is about therapeutic vaccines. So that is to treat somebody who has a cancer, either to treat somebody who has advanced cancer to help shrink it down, or what's really coming out right now in the field is, is to prevent recurrence. So if somebody has a cancer, let's say has undergone surgical treatment or management, and then can they get some type of immunotherapy? And, and vaccines are part of immunotherapy, but they're sort of, they're an emerging part right now. We don't have any therapeutic vaccines that we use use routinely in, in clinical use. There are different immunotherapies, obviously, that, that are in clinical use, but can we use sort of a primer of the immune system to sort of prime maybe and prime and boost the immune system to prevent recurrence? I, I think that's an, an opportunity, and it certainly is a goal for many of us in the field to develop those types of vaccines to prevent recurrence. And I think that that's where a lot of the excitement is right now in the precision oncology world of how to design those specifically for individual cancer types. Dr. Knudsen, could you give us a little primer, if you would, please, about how a cancer vaccine would work? Well, there's a number of different ways that, you know, cancer vaccines are used, as Dr. Anderson mentioned. But in essence, they work very much the same way as an infectious disease vaccine. The idea is to, you know, provide some antigen to the immune system and to stimulate the B cells and T cells that make up one component of the immune system. And these are the types of cells that look for specific proteins that are present on a microorganism or on a cancer themselves. And so there's really fundamentally not a lot of difference between a cancer vaccine and an infectious disease vaccine. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. And I understand there are types of vaccines, protein or peptide cancer vaccines, DNA vaccines, personalized vaccines. Can you try to parse some of that for us? Sure. There is a number of vaccine approaches, just like in infectious disease vaccines. We started out many, many years ago with infectious disease vaccines by using whole organisms, either those organisms that were weakened in some way or that were killed. And similarly, there's been cancer vaccines that have used whole cancer cells and been given to individuals after they've been, you know, in some way killed or prevented from uh, growing inside of the body. But as technology has improved over the last three or four decades, we've been able to create vaccines synthetically by making proteins, by making DNA molecules, by making uh, peptides, for example, as you had mentioned. And so there's a number of different approaches that are used in terms of uh, vaccinating against cancer. What's the most promising at this point, Dr. Anderson? Well, I think the platforms that are most amenable for cancer vaccines are nucleic acid platforms, I think, and in, in, in part because the reality is that that even, let's say, within breast cancer, there are many different types of breast cancers. There's different types of proteins that are expressed that are abnormal that could be targeted by the immune system. You want to find something that is different in the cancer compared to the rest of, of self, right? It has to be seen as foreign because you want to drive an immune response to this that is not going to cause autoimmunity. So a lot of those approaches is a lot of these vaccines are really designed to induce T-cell responses in particular, because it's the T-cells ultimately that can help kill the tumor cells, that can help recruit other immune cells and help clear out uh, tumor. And, and that's how a lot of immunotherapy works right now. Because those the changes in the cancer can be different, both within a tumor type and between tumor types, that's where we start to get to, to precision vaccines. And so one approach is to say, look, this is something that's abnormal in a number of different patients, and there are, there are antigens and targets for those that are in common. Dr. Knudsen's done a lot of work on this, and many groups around the world have, have been working on common tumor antigens. That's the simpler way, and that can be with protein or with peptides or with, or with nucleic acids, viruses, or DNA or RNA. But when you start to get to the precision ones, the ones that, that might be different between every individual, there you you almost need to get to nucleic acid because you can manufacture that in a way that, that's a little bit more amenable to the requirements for precision vaccines. You want to chime in, Dr. Knudsen? Just to add on to that, one of the interesting and, and certainly exploitable properties of nucleic acid vaccines is we can get more targets. Really, that's what we want to do is we want to generate a very strong immune response against many foreign targets that are on the tumor cell. When you use nucleic acids, you can actually put many targets in these nucleic acid-based vaccines. And so that makes it very enticing to move forward with those types of vaccine approaches. The other approaches, such as a protein or peptide-based are much more problematic because you not only have to make it, you also have to mix all of the targets together into the vaccine. And that really poses a significant problem. By using nucleic acid vaccines, you know, such as an RNA vaccine or a DNA vaccine, you can encode multiple targets and actually your body makes those targets within the body itself. And then your immune system responds to that. 
And so that is a very attractive approach for vaccinating against cancer. Dr. Anderson mentioned breast cancer, and I know both of you are working on that. Currently, if I'm not mistaken, there's only one FDA-approved immunotherapy drug for breast cancer, and it just benefits a small subset of women, I believe. What are the challenges, especially when it comes to breast cancer? Is there something different about breast cancer versus other cancers that may respond better, say, to these vaccines? Well, I do think that different cancers have different sensitivity to, to immune therapy in general. And we've known for a long time that like melanoma is much more sensitive to the immune response. And that's where a lot of the immunotherapies were initially tested and, and where some of the primary, some of the cancer vaccines are also being tested right now. Then there are other solid tumors that are much more less sensitive to immune therapy. And, and what, but what we've learned is that there are ways to make them more sensitive. You can create immune therapy that can work better. So the immune therapy that's used in breast cancer, checkpoint blockade is used in, in a subset of women with triple negative breast cancer, but it works better with a little bit of chemotherapy and it works only in a small subset of women with breast cancer. But I think we're learning now that there might be responses in other types of breast cancers if you combine these immune therapies with other types of target therapies to sort of wake up the immune system and be able to get those T cells into the tumor where they need to go. And I think that as time has gone on, more and more cancer types can be rendered sensitive to immune therapies. And I suspect that might also be true for cancer vaccines in particular. We've been working in these fields and people have been trying cancer vaccines for, you know, for decades, really, and trying to identify who might be able to respond to this. And I think we've made a lot of advances to figuring out how to combine these things to be able to make more effective immune therapies. And I think we're both working in the field of breast cancer, but whether it's ovarian cancer or colon cancer or lung cancers or others, there are many different solid, certainly solid tumors that may be amenable to these. Dr. Knudsen, any comment on this? Yeah, I mean, you know, just another way to think about this is your immune system is extremely powerful. It has all kinds of tools available to it. And we often wonder as immunologists, why doesn't the immune system just attack normal tissues in your body? And the reason is, is there's a wide variety of of blockers that the body puts up to block the immune system from attacking self. One of the hallmarks of, of cancer is its ability to turn on these blocking mechanisms and block that immune response. And individual cancers may have multiple blocking mechanisms already in place. Some cancers may be more predisposed to a certain blocking mechanism as opposed to other cancers. And we continue to understand what those mechanisms are. Are, and that's going to lead us to being able to manipulate the immune system directly within the tumor in order to get the immune system to clear it. I'm assuming then that one of the big challenges in developing and using vaccines to treat cancer is the ability of cancer to, that's very good at morphing. The challenge is these cancer cells cloak themselves in different ways. Is that right? Yeah, they can cloak themselves. They can also lose antigens. Okay, if we're targeting something that's not essential for the growth of the tumor, then it's just going to kick it out. 
it's avoiding the immune response in, in a host of different ways. It can hide, like you said, it can cloak, it can drop out the antigen, it can be less sensitive to the immune response, uh, it can drop down some of the self proteins that, that cause the immune response to happen. And so there has to be some, Dr. Knudsen pointed out, how we have to tar- have multiple targets. And I think that's a fundamentally important in terms of how we target any type of immune response. So if the cancer tries to change in one direction, we've already created T cells and responses that might be able to target a different antigen or a different set of antigens. And I think dealing with that heterogeneity and that heterogeneity over time to have multiple different targets, look, the earlier we do this, the fewer targets we probably need it's probably going to be much easier to create an effective broad scope immune response to a tumor before it becomes widely heterogeneous um, when it's really advanced. And so being able to do this early to prevent recurrence might be much more effective way of being able to implement these cancer vaccines. I'm a lay person. And so you mentioned targets. And I understand, Dr. Anderson, that you are using proteomics and developing broader computational programs. Are you looking for, by using proteomics and and these computational tools, are you looking at trying to make predictions and find multiple targets? That's exactly what we're doing. We're trying to take some of these advances that people have learned both computational speed and protein structure, really trying to marry that to be able to improve our predictions of what targets to go after, not just, but because there's they can be different between individuals, we want to be able to leverage all those advances in computational processing to be able to predict these very, very quickly so that we can improve improve the design of the vaccines and prioritize them. So let's say you have a cancer that you, maybe you, there's 200 targets that we might've identified that might be unique and a potential targets for that vaccine. Okay. That could be a, some type of protein or peptide in there. Well, which ones of those do we pick? Do we pick all 200? Do we pick the 10 of them? How do we prioritize those targets that we're going after? And what we're trying to do is to build those tools that can tell us that very, very rapidly. So we can know from going from a just a sequencing program to this is how you prioritize those targets for your cancer vaccine. Dr. Knudsen, fascinating, by the way. What tools are you using? We've developed uh, computational pipelines to try to to find those targets in, in much the same way that Dr. Anderson is doing it as well. And this is an approach that's becoming more and more common, and it's going into clinical trials. We have clinical trials as well as other groups as well to you know try to find what's foreign by sequencing their RNA and their DNA, and then trying to figure out which of the mutations, so to speak, in the tumor are you know potentially targetable. Really, it's the technologic advances over the past few years, being able to do this computationally, being able to sequence tumors really rapidly and get all the information that we need. And it's very fascinating. And there's a number of anecdotal stories where we see tumor shrinkage. But at this point, we're just really at the beginning. And I think over the next 20 to 30 years, we're going to see some really striking advances in terms of, you know, how we identify what's foreign on the tumor and how we get that into the clinic very rapidly. Very exciting time for treating cancer using vaccines. 
We've touched on this a little bit, but let's just dive a little bit deeper into using vaccines for recurrence of cancer. Can you explain, maybe I'll, I'll toss this to Dr. Anderson first, where are we and what are you seeing out there that excites you? Well, I think right now there are a lot of different clinical trials of a variety of different vaccines to in different tumor types to look at reducing uh, disease recurrence. And I'm looking forward to hearing Dr. Knutson's take the triple negative breast cancer vaccine that they've been working on, been participating in those studies, and, and they're very exciting. There have been some recent reports on a um, RNA-based vaccine developed from Moderna, really using the coronavirus coronaviral RNA vaccine platform, but using this to reduce recurrence of melanoma. Now, unfortunately, we, we haven't actually seen some of this data yet. It's very new and, and we're parsing through what that data looks like, but by the, certainly the media reports are, are suggesting that there is a reduction in recurrence rates in, in a phase two clinical trial. So I think that they're looking to move forward onto larger scale phase three clinical trials to see whether or not that reduction in recurrence rate holds out. And I think we're all very excited to see this. There are a lot of different various vaccines that, that are in clinical use right now. In But again, in clinical trials only, I think none of these therapeutic vaccines have, um, have made it all the way through to FDA. But I think what we've learned with coronavirus, we've learned a lot about vaccination, about how to drive effective immune responses, how to produce many of these nucleic acid vaccines at scale about the power of vaccination to affect disease. We've known about many different vaccines, for, certainly for infectious disease over time, but I think what cor coronavirus has totally changed the speed of the process, I think, right? We've gone from being able to develop new therapeutics to actually being able to, to build them and implement them and, and, and put them into clinical studies in a much faster rate. We've learned a lot about how to monitor vaccines and, and how to drive additional immune responses to try to get weak vaccines like RNA to work a lot stronger. And I think that we're in the cancer field, we're going to benefit from a lot of that knowledge and hopefully have the ability to have many more trials in, in process. Good point. Thank you. Dr. Knutson, I want to ask you about your work. I know I, I know you have a Department of Defense grant. I believe that's the Breakthrough Award grant. Congratulations on that. Tell us about the work you're doing on triple negative breast cancer. So triple negative breast cancer, as you may know, is a subset of breast cancers. It's perhaps 10 to 15% of breast cancer patients have what we call triple negative breast cancer. And, you know, several years ago, there had been, it continues to have a high morbidity and a high mortality rate. Until real recently, there wasn't much done after surgery and chemotherapy. The patients were just, you know, left to go about their daily lives, but were at incredible risk for relapse and, you know, having subsequent problems for the cancer itself. And so our challenge that we posed uh, many years ago was, is there something that we can do? 
for these patients after they're done with their standard therapy to boost the immune system and the immune response against the cancer. Because what we've known for many, many years is that having an immune response against your tumor actually puts you in a much better place. You don't recur as often. And when you do recur, you respond better to subsequent therapies and you live longer. And so that's what we're trying to do with the triple negative breast cancer vaccine. So this is a trial that's been actually going on for a few years now. And Dr. Anderson has been recruiting patients. Thank you, Dr. Anderson, into uh, the clinical trial, along with other investigators at Mayo Clinic and a number of sites around the country. And so now we're fully accrued. We have about 280 patients. Now, some of those patients are on placebo and we don't know which ones are on placebo and which ones are not because it's a blinded trial and randomized. And so about a third of those patients uh, received a placebo. The other two thirds received the vaccine. And so we've recently completed vaccination rather accrual, as we call it, of all of the patients into the clinical trial. And we continue to vaccinate those patients and follow them for determining whether or not we're impacting the you know recurrence rate in that population of breast cancer patients. So the hope is that we're we're going to you know drastically reduce the uh, recurrence rate but there might be a subset of patients that we identify that benefit from the vaccine and we can take on into an advanced clinical trial. So this is a phase 2 clinical trial that we have going on but that the next step then would be phase 3 clinical trials or other phase 2 clinical trials that would help kind of of hone in who would best benefit from the vaccine. Wow. Thank you for doing the work, by the way. And I know there are listeners too who know about your work with ovarian cancer, and that's such a sneaky cancer and lethal. Where is your work focusing on when it comes to a vaccine for ovarian cancer? So we have a, a personalized vaccine. It's not personalized in the sense that we're using DNA sequencing. It's personalized in the sense that we're removing cells from the body, a special subset of cells called dendritic cells. And we're pulsing them, so to speak, with uh, targets that the immune system can then recognize and giving those back with the patient. So we've recently completed a, cl a clinical trial in 19 patients with this vaccine and reported on that recently. And we were happy to find that about 40% of the patients did not have any relapse, whereas, and, and Dr. Anderson knows the mortality rate from ovarian cancer, we would have expected about 10% after about five or six years to have no evidence of recurrence. So in our case, we found 40% of patients, even out to eight years, didn't have any evidence of recurrence and actually have gone off surveillance for their ovarian cancer. And so we've been recently funded by the um, NIH to continue uh, further work on this promising approach for ovarian cancer and looking at preventing uh, disease progression immediately after treatment in those patients that uh, have been diagnosed with this deadly disease. Fantastic. Wow. Uh, Dr. Anderson, you want to add anything to this? 
Now, I think that these approaches are so exciting and understand that this has been, you know, Dr. Knudsen's had, you know, decades working toward this process. And I think it's, for those of us in the field, it, it's very exciting to start to see these, these moving into the clinic and, and moving into later stage and, and getting these hints of, of responses to be able to benefit our patients with cancer. I mean, the, the, the goal is to create therapies that are relatively non-toxic or less toxic than what we currently use, maybe to complement the, the, the targeted therapies that are currently in use. And But the idea that what we've been doing clinically is, is, you know, you finish all the therapy and then you say, well, we don't know if it's going to come back or not, and we're going to wait. And that's just not acceptable to anybody. And we want to be able to reduce that recurrence rate as much as possible. And if driving a little bit of an immune response specifically to the tumor might reduce that recurrence, I think that's the goal that we're all trying to, to shoot for. Well, of course, as you both know, and those who are listening who have cancer or a loved one who, who has had cancer, it's the waiting. It's it's that little voice in the back of your head almost all the time saying, is it going to come back? Is it? And there's that fear, right? I'm assuming as both of you as researchers, trying to lessen the fear would be a, a goal of yours. Absolutely. And and being able to say, look, this is where all these different vaccines, and I think what will be happening is we'll have a number of different clinical studies of a lot of different versions of these. It'll sort itself out over time as to which ones are most effective, you know, which ones will work with different types of tumors or in different types of settings. And as Dr. Knudsen alluded to, it may take decades to sort this out. But I think in the near term and, you know, for the patients with cancer who want something yesterday, and I would too, is that there will be a number of different clinical trials available for patients, both at Mayo Clinic and otherwise, on targeting a number of different types of uh, cancers. And I think it it is going to be worth, you know, looking at, you know, what are the clinical trials that are available for a particular cancer type or a, t- a certain type of trial? And what are the opportunities to be able to say, we welcome participation in, in clinical studies as these are brought forward. And it does take a little while to figure out which ones are working better or worse. And I think it's going to be a very exciting time over the next, you know, 10, 20 years, certainly. Say a personal question for both of you before we go. What spurs you on? What's in this work for you personally that keeps you going? Dr. Knudsen? I'm a basic scientist. And so um, I'm not a physician and I don't get into the clinic. And I, you know, really rely on the collegiality of the physicians at the Mayo Clinic to help me. And an interesting aspect is that as a basic scientist, I get to see the action of the vaccines in the patients themselves that have cancer and see the activity and, you know, hear the stories of perhaps somebody was cured or perhaps I prevented disease. And and really it's that aspect of, of being able to move the technologies that we develop into the laboratory that just you know, makes it a world of difference for me in terms of getting up every day and coming to work and and doing this difficult job. Dr. Anderson? I've been an oncologist now for longer than I care to admit, but, <laughs> but we see the changes over time. 
you know, my treatments for cancer are very different now than they were when I started. We have seen improvements in morbidity and mortality of a number of different cancers. You know, HER2 breast cancer, which used to be one of the worst types of breast cancer, these women now have excellent outcomes because of the therapies that have been developed over the last 10, 20 years. And I think we're seeing this now with immunotherapy since 2011, that this has dramatically changed the outcomes in a number of different cancers. So I think the thing that keeps us going is seeing the impact. And you're not doing the same thing. Everything is different every single year and the therapies that we're giving. And I think there is real reason for optimism for how we're treating cancer these days. Wow. Dr. Karen Anderson and Dr. Keith Knudsen, really, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for joining us here. What a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you have questions or comments about what you heard today, do send us an email. It is precisionpod, P-O-D, precisionpod at mayo.edu. And for goodness sakes, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We will have future conversations about a number of different topics in precision medicine. If you have questions or comments about what you heard today, do send us an email. It is precisionpod, P-O-D, precisionpod at mayo.edu. And for goodness sakes, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We will have future conversations about a number of different topics in precision medicine. I'm Kathy Werzer. Until next time, here's to your health and well-being.